very common uh, misconception with money is that in order for us to talk about finances and marriage, we have to be adversaries. And maybe we're not intentionally doing that, but that's how it feels sometimes, where I have to intentionally advocate for my position because I don't think that you're going to care about it. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and today we have a real treat. Russell Baxter, who was with us a few months ago, is back, and he has released a new book, which he was writing at the time of our last interview, and we're excited to hear about this book, about the process of the book, and really all the uh, good stuff that he's put into it. I have uh, skimmed through it. I haven't read it yet, but I am looking forward to uh, really diving into this book and really hearing your heart, Russell, about uh, what this book has meant to you and just the process of writing it. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Well, thanks for having me again. This has been a, it's been a, always a pleasure to be on the show. Okay, awesome. Well, why don't we just start with you writing this book. Over the last four months since uh, you and I and David have sat and uh, uh, talked, you finished this book, you published it. Mm-hmm. So it's out there right now. Yeah. So tell us about this process of writing this book. Oh man, this uh, writing this book was a journey of self-discovery for sure. And if you read the book, you'll see the kind of person who I used to be um, and even still wrestle with today of just mm. you know procrastination, uh, laziness. I have used to avoid difficult trying situations. And <laughs> who so, doesn't, right? Yeah, and so I, it's for me to sit down and do something creative uh, was very out of character for me. And so this book eventually took uh, pretty close to a year. Uh, the whole process started when David actually sat down and talked to me at lunch and said, hey, I need want you to create a class. And I was like, okay, well, what about marriage and money? He's like, that sounds great. Do that. <laughs> and so I sat down over a period of few days and created all the material. And for me to be able to sit down consistently over an entire year and do the same thing over and over my wife would tell you is (laughs) very peculiar um and but it it completely changed my life it can change changed our marriage i mean if you want to test your marriage edit a book with your spouse because (laughs) i can't uh, imagine (laughs) uh, because they're going to be pointing out hey this doesn't sound right this is a problem so you're going to be constantly you're going to get numb to feedback at that point you're just going to get used to hearing all of your mistakes and how you did things wrong. Um, but it really changed our uh, the dynamics in our relationship because I actually got to see her be proud of me about something that I created, which is, you know, very it's a very healing experience. Uh, and to see just the support for the people around me, you know, the, all my friends and family and that, uh, that they are really rallying behind the project and we're really excited about it. And we're already getting positive feedback from people who are making dramatic life changes um, because they were inspired by some of the stories in the book. And so it's, it's just really exciting to see something that came out of my heart uh, being able to connect with other people's heart too. So yeah, when the book first came out, uh, I picked up 20 copies right away because I could see how awesome it was just from our conversation a couple of months ago in episode 32 and 33 uh, from seeing the class that you had created over a year ago to help other people on marriage and finances. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to go ahead and start digging into the book and read a lot of it. Haven't quite finished it, but I've really enjoyed it. And I highly encourage any of our listeners to go check it out. I'm amazed, uh, Russell, that you know you have a full-time practice. 
you are a supervisor, licensed professional counselor. Mm -hmm. So not only do you do counseling sessions, but you also supervise other counselors. Right. On top of that, uh, you do teach classes, you serve, you help others um, outside of just your work hours, and then you find time to write this book. Uh, that's just, it's amazing. So what was the on? Give me a quick overview on when were you writing the book and uh, how long did it take? Well, I. Since I own my own business, I can set my own schedule, and so I don't traditionally work on Fridays, which is the advantage that I have to the average person. So pretty much I would go to uh, – I spent half the time at the North Richmond Hills Library yeah. just getting out of my house because I knew that I couldn't work at home. I'd find dishes to do or something. That's how much I would avoid writing. <laughs> uh and there were periods of time where, I mean, I even refer to it in the shame chapter where I avoided work because I was just so um, scared to write. And so I would go to the library, I'd put music on, I had like the same three albums that I would listen to on repeat, and uh, I would go into one of those little study rooms where nobody could bother you and just crank it out and do 3,000 words a day and just get it done. Yeah, know? that's and great. So it was, it was just a matter of making it a part of your life, essentially, kind of yeah. like brushing your teeth. <laughs> you know. Well, so for me, when I cracked open the book and on, I mean, the intro was great. And then on page two, literally just right off the bat, I see this sentence and uh, you're talking about your marriage with your wife and what you brought to the table. And you said, all I brought to the table was $43,000 in debt and a rebellious spirit. <laughs> and I was just, everything that I've known about you, Russell, has always been so professional, always so well put together. And so getting to see some personal things in your own life, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's another thing in there where you said previously, before you, before you grew, before you got more healthy, uh, your routines revolved around eating out 44 ounce soft drinks, smoke breaks. Uh, you know, it was so normal, the things you were doing that you never considered how um, consequential these decisions were in your life. So I think that your story is incredible going from a ton of debt and smoking and health issues to where you are today. Uh, kick us off with that, that kind of intro to the book and some of those changes in your life. Well, there's a direct relationship that we have. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I found that as people are trying to heal and go through emotional recovery, it's really great to give them physical, concrete examples that connect with their, their experience because abstracts can be very convoluted and confusing. And there's a direct connection to either a story about losing weight or paying off debt that we can connect with and with emotional struggles too because there's a lot of life change, consistency over long periods of time, and we'll see change. That's really the only way it happens. There's no quick fix. And even if somebody were to have given me $43,000 just out of the kindness of their heart, it wouldn't have actually solved the problem. Right. It would, it would have actually made it worse mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have learned anything. I would have thought, well, this is fine. People just give away money. This is a great experience. I can do this again. Yeah, I can do this again. <laughs> yeah. And it took me and my wife going through a year of uh, living on half of what we made mm. to be able to pay this off together where I started to learn how important it was to manage our money well. And there's a story that I tell about um, the impact that she had on me with tithing. When we first got married, I didn't care about tithing. I didn't think it was important. I didn't see the, the need for it because I was like, I would rather use this money on something else It's more that's more fun or yeah. enjoyable. Um, but she's like, I really think it's important. And she insisted on it. And I was like, well, I'm, it doesn't bother me. Go ahead and do it. 
And as I started to see the, I mean, the inadvertent effects on our finances, I didn't have anything to do with it. But God continued to bless our finances anyway. Um, it start it started to convince me, like, man, there's something to this. To the point where now I know when I hear people say I can't afford to tithe, I tell them you can't afford not to tithe, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and so just to see that relationship and how that relationship with money affected. Um, my character and my heart, uh, I had to write about that, you know, to show everybody that that it's possible. I mean, that you can change. Anybody can change. Well, I love the way you started the book with uh, talking about opening your heart and really challenging the reader to think about uh, the changes that they potentially could make, but the only way they're going to make those changes is if they actually embrace the idea that they are not 100% right. Yeah. That there are possibilities, even if they're the person who's trying to rein things in, maybe they're the numbers person, maybe they're the ones who are really more motivated to get their finances in order, there's still things that that person needs to understand and be open to in order to get cooperation from their uh, spouse or from their uh, loved one. So talk, talk about the heart. You, you, you talk in chapter one about the heart, uh, the mind, desires, and character, because one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is that it's really never about financial choices. Mm -mm. Money is never really about money, and I think you mentioned that in your book. So talk about the the issue of the heart and how finances plays into that. Well, to address something you mentioned earlier about uh, maybe they're the numbers person, right? And there are, if you do not have the humility to be able to learn something different, um, you're going to get stuck. Mm. And there are these people who are banging their heads against the wall, wondering, why can't I get my spouse to save, never considering the fact maybe the way I'm approaching this problem yeah. is actually solidifying the their position yeah. right, and causing the resistance. Um, and I know that the way that my wife handled my rebellion and my just irresponsibility wasn't, I mean, there were some heated discussions, obviously, because it triggered her anxiety and her fear. Um but there was also she took the time to teach me and she didn't shame me about it. You know, she didn't make it seem like, well, since you're an adult, you should already know these things. It was, you you know, this is important to us. We should learn this together. And, and we would actually sit down and uh, we would go through it together and she would actually coach me. And that is a dynamic that I think outside of even finances we should have in our marriage. There are things that my wife can teach me that uh, that I don't know. <laughs> and vice versa. And we, we are going to reach this uh, tension in your marriage if you don't realize that your weaknesses are um, strengthened by the things that are inside of your spouse. And I talk about that in the book. Your spouse was put into your life for a reason to help heal or to help strengthen and make you a better person, right? Um, even though it may not always seem that way. Well, I really like the tagline of your book, Uh, So the book is sharing your heart, sharing your treasure, but the tagline is a map to creating intimacy through personal finances. And a lot of the book is your journey in finding new intimacy and uh, deeper levels of intimacy through the communication skills and the principles that you guys learned in finances and shared with each other. So when we take this into the home and you look at different types of homes, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we talked about in episode 32 and 33 were the four types of homes. So the four types of homes were the CPA home, the joint venture home, the Wild West home, and the team home. So break down some of those things you talked about in the first couple of chapters on, you know, what it looks like to be in each one of these homes. 
Well, uh, kind of like we've addressed before, but it really bears repeating that the CPA home is where one or one person manages all or most of the financial decisions. And so uh, this is kind of where my marriage could have gone had my wife not emphasized the importance of having me be involved and took the time to coach me. And so sometimes there are uh, there's two types of people in that relationship, the CPA um, is the person who manages the money, and they can either be somebody who controls out of fear and anxiety. They're worried that if they don't, if they let the other person contribute or help out, that it's all going to go fall apart. Right. Um, and they tend to have a poverty spirit or tend to be very uh, fearful with money, and that's that's never going to be okay. Um, because if you don't trust your spouse with money, there's probably a chance that there's somewhere else you don't trust them. You know? mm. And if you can't trust their judgment with money, why do you trust their judgment with parenting or mm. with their job or you know anything else? It just is very inconsistent, right? Mm. And the other one is a loner, and these are the guys or girls that are longing to have their spouse be involved because they're tired of doing it all on their own, mm. uh, but their spouse is either in, not interested or they get anxious or worried about money even when you mention it or have to talk about it. Um, and it overwhelms them or they, they never really taught about it or they, they're so used to somebody taking care of them that they, um, they're perfectly fine being passive. Uh, and those are kind of the CPAs. And, and really what that does is it creates this dynamic and it, it's very maternal or paternal where one of the people becomes like a parent mm. and the other becomes like a child. You see, you tend to hear language like, um, I receive an allowance every month, yeah. right? And and I even make that very clear in the book. I don't think any adult should be receiving an allowance from anyone, <laughs> right? Because really, especially their spouse, right? Because it also kind of convolutes the sense of ownership. How do you give something to someone that they already own, right? Like if we're already a joint partnership, like we're working together, and I'm giving you an allowance, the implication is. This is my money, and I'm going to give you what you're allowed to have this month, right? Yeah, it's and not equality. It is not equality, and it, it, these are all. And I, I mean, I kind of talk about the language of money later in the book, but it, these kind of implications have a resounding emotional effect in the relationship. How do you feel, especially in single-income homes where one person stays home and doesn't create a uh, substantial income? You know. When they say things like, well, you know, you can't have any, I'm going to do something with my money that I want to do. Well, the implication is it's not your money. Um, And so that's the CPA home and it kind of can, it creates a lot of tension and a lot of uh, anxiety. And I mean, I've had people even say, you know, this is just the way we like to do it. But I I even make a point, you know, you're missing out on the potential for character development and uh, communication and growth in your marriage when you choose to do this. Uh, the second one was a joint venture home where both people are managing their money separately. Now, this is a very common uh, occurrence. And, I mean, I was even talking to this teenager tonight, and she's like, I don't want to get married because I don't want to have to have my assets associated with somebody else. And I'm like, you're 15. Why are you worried about your assets? <laughs> what assets? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I kind of just said, you know, the, if you don't – commit your finances to this other person. You're already planning for divorce, right? You're already planning to make separation clean and neat. And it's not meant to be that way. Um, And, you know, my wife could just as easily had said, you know what, you are irresponsible with money. You're impulsive. I can't trust you. So we're going to just, I'm going to put some money, we're going to put money in your account and that's what you can spend. 
uh, and I'm going to handle the rest of it. Right? She could have just as easily done that because she could have been afraid. Uh, but she took the time to sit down and we worked through a budget and we had, I mean, we had some plenty of conversations. We said, Hey, you overspent on this. Hey, we need to tighten this up. And we worked together. That's great. Because I, I believe anybody can learn this stuff. It's just sixth grade math. It's not complicated. I'm not asking people to learn about complicated investment strategies. It's just when to say no and when to say yes. Right. But so much of it, it comes to, uh, I think, even up our upbringing. I think some, this is something you mentioned in your book, that we have a past. Each one of us has a past. Mm-hmm. And that past is going to taint and um, influence the way we associate with money. And then when we get married, that becomes now so much more complicated because we make decisions based on our own background, our own fears, our own anxiety over money, whether it's a poverty mentality, whether it's a kind of a spendthrift, whatever our personality is and how we interpret money. When we do that, it's going to impact the other person because they didn't have an equal exact experience in their background, not the same experience, not Mm -hmm. the same uh, upbringing. And so that's, I think that's where you start seeing a real uh, difference. Uh, obviously, between you and your spouse, your wife was either raised a, a different way or came to that knowledge, you know, of being more responsible with money, having a little bit more management uh, experience by the time you guys got married. But she could have said, yes, you're irresponsible. I don't want to take the time to to train you. That's not my job. You should be there. Mm-hmm. And if you're not too bad, here's how we're going to handle it. If we're going to stay together, then I handle it and you get an allowance. And so one of the things that I would love for you to go deeper in is how does how does it work when two, especially a young couple, come together, or even an older couple that just have never had success in this area? Mm-hmm. How would you guide them? What would you say to them to help them understand those differences? That And you mentioned it earlier that it's really the your weakness is strengthened by the other person. Right. So you get money can actually help you develop as a person. It's mm-hmm. just one of the things that in your marriage is through the communication of money that you can both become better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I would think about would be finding common interests, you know, finding something that we're both excited about or passionate about. For me, it, the thing that hooked me was the future. You know, what is something that uh, that I'm really excited about in the future? Right. You know, when I found out that it's possible to be a millionaire and that it wasn't like, you know, some this unattainable goal that is only for the select few. And I realized, oh, all I have to do are X, Y, and Z, and I can be a millionaire in 30 years or even sooner. Well, then why am I not doing those things, right? right? Um, And so helping, giving me a why and having a why that I can share with my wife that's exciting for both of us, you know, the idea, for for instance, another one that really connects with us is we love sticking it to the man. You know, it's just something that we're really passionate about. <laughs> Explain we, that. For well, me. <laughs> like you know, we don't like uh, just going and buying things um, on uh, full price retail, yeah. right? We don't just go and do those kinds of things. We like to find as many ways to stick it to uh, companies as we can with the coupons. My wife has coupons and we, we get rewards and we, we she's any, anytime we go to a store she's going, they go, um, are you a rewards member? And she goes, no, but we can be. And she signs up and we get, we just start collecting points and, um, you know, we, she'll come home from Walgreens and has spent 75 cents, but has, you know, seven different shampoos that are going to last us three years, you know, something like that. And, uh, so that's something that kind of got us, 
connected. We were able to find a common ground. So that that would be the place that I would want to start. So something bigger than just this moment. For some people, maybe it's, you know, we want to be able to pay for our kids' college. For some of them, it's we want to be able to travel when we retire, right? For some people, it's we want to be able to be generous. Well, those are things that can kind of connect and we can backtrack and say, okay, in order for us to be able to be generous, we have to say no to some of these things or we have to be restrictive over here. I was so willing to sacrifice if it meant that I could do something greater later. And once I connected that principle of delayed gratification and the fact that I wasn't really missing out on a whole lot, you know, when I you'd be surprised how quickly you can adapt to missing out on coffee or you know some trivial thing that actually accumulates a hundred dollars every month, right? Uh, and when I can say, oh, if I could take that extra hundred dollars and go do something actually memorable, oh, well, I'm willing to do that now. But I had to have somebody connect those dots for me, right? And the other thing that really helps that transition that you're talking about is just not shaming the other person, right? Or, or making them feel dumb or not, uh, you know, being impatient or frustrated with them. You know, we don't all start at the same place, like you said. And uh, the only way you're going to get people to be learn- teachable is if they realize that it's perfectly okay for them to need to be taught, right? And that's something that my wife did really well. It was a lot of, she's not always, she's not perfect, but she, she handled that situation amazingly with grace and patience. So it helped a lot with me, with me learning. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, you talk about the wild West home in the book and it's the home where there's no plan and people do what they want and they do what feels good. And, uh, Leo and I talk a lot about this and, and have taught people this over the years to track their expenses. And I love what you put in the book here about people that as they begin to track, uh, they're always blown away by one category. There's this one category where like they, they've always gone over and they didn't even realize and it's eating out. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the other things that you see happening in the Wild West home and how you get people to this final home that's actually the good place? Yeah, well, the, the really the biggest cost um, of the Wild West home is opportunity cost. Because when we have so much uh, chaos at home and our finances, we aren't able to focus on some of the more important things in our life. So for instance, I was talking with somebody yesterday and I was telling him, there's no way I could focus on all this growth in my business if my marriage was in shambles, if my money was out of order, if my house wasn't clean, if I didn't have structure and, and consistency at home, there's no way I could focus at, at work. I'd be so distracted. I'd just be wanting to do the bare minimum just to be able to make money. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm saying. Opportunity cost of, you know, all of the growth that you could be missing out on because you're worried about being able to um, pay for your subscriptions or whatever trivial things that we're worried about or maybe major things. Right. But the Wild West home is just about chaos and and miscommunication and um, no plan. And so there's no, we're not giving our money any kind of purpose or direction. And so when we don't give money, purpose and direction, it goes and it goes and finds somebody who will, uh, and they, and they'll take care of it. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And so that's something that I've learned is that, uh, you have to be, you have to have a plan and that's what the wild west is, 
missing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just pure chaos. And, and you register that emotionally, too. I mean, there's a lot of stress, anxiety that we become accustomed to, acclimate to. So then the last home that you talked about in your book is the team home. Talk about that, because I think, obviously, that's that's something that I think every single couple desires is to work as a team in, in their finances and really win with money. Well, in the team home, uh, I actually break it up into five different principles uh, to really elaborate on that. But the team home is basically um, creating this atmosphere in your home where we're on the same side. A very common uh, misconception with money is that in order for us to talk about finances and marriage, we have to be adversaries. And maybe we're not intentionally doing that, but that's how it feels sometimes, where I have to intentionally advocate for my position because I don't think that you're going to care about it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons that I called it a team home was because I wanted to get us to both, just to start out by, even by hearing it, realize that we're on the same side. Uh, and so one of the things that, one of the, the first principle with a team home is that they don't look at what the other teams are doing. We're, we, I need to make choices for my home based on my financial situation, based on my specific principles, and based on my goals. It doesn't make sense for me to spend my money based on the way that David and Leo live their lives. Right. It doesn't work because you're not going to be responsible for what I do. <laughs> and I even have a line in the book that says, uh, the world isn't going to help you with your payments just because you bought something with them in mind. Yeah. That's good. And it's Very true. true. <laughs> and it's true. And we, But we do that. We yeah. do that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would make purchases based on the idea of getting recognized for it, yeah. even for 30 seconds, right? And then uh, never again. <laughs> and uh, it, wasn't have, it didn't have anything to do with whether I could afford it or not. It was just about getting that hit of dopamine of acceptance and uh, recognition. Mm. That's good. S- second thing is, uh, we work as one unit, not two people. So your agenda is my agenda. And if we have a we have a disagreement, then we need to figure it out. We need to figure out what are the good things that you can uh, about your position and what are the good things about my position? What are some of the things that we can agree on and disagree on? So, for instance, I was talking with a couple about reconciling their finances, and we started talking about retirement. and we started talking about, how they, they both wanted to travel, but one person wanted to travel in first class because he, he wanted to be comfortable the whole trip. And the other person wanted to travel coach, but be able to do more trips because it's cheaper. Yeah. And I said, well, what if we were able to do both? Right? What if every year, every other year we did it one way and every other year we did it the other? Right. And sitting down and just kind of finding there's no wrong or right answer here. It's about preference. And that she's right that they can do more trips, um, but maybe it's better to do it (laughs) luxuriously for once, right? And to live it up within their finances. But they have to be able to see that it's not just me defending me. It's how do we make this work with us, right? right? So... Uh, the third thing was is that we don't beat up on the teammate, right? We don't shame the other person. If they make a mistake, if they, uh, we all are going to make mistakes. And that works for the, the nerds too. I mean, the nerds are going to be stressed or freaking out about money, and they're going to be um, questioning you and interrogating you, and that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the way we should handle this. Uh, and so when that, when that happens and they're acting out of their fear, it's important for us as the free spirited people to not go, Hey, you know, 
you shouldn't be doing that and beating them up about it, you know. Um, so the third thing is, or the fourth thing is, is that we're the, a team meets frequently. Um, and this is one that I really emphasize heavily because we're trying to create new habits, new patterns of behavior. We're trying to emphasize uh, lifestyle change, not just like a diet. We're trying to actually create a full-on uh, lifestyle change. And that only happens with repetition. Uh, and so for some people, I tell them to meet you know, every other day, log their transactions, and check in with each other, see how, what they spent for the day, and uh, then move on. Right? And so like, for instance, my wife and I, we meet twice a month. But we're kind of on autopilot at this point, you know, which is waiting for the right amount of time to pass till we meet our financial goals. Um, and we still we still revisit at the beginning of every month to talk about what this month's going to look like, if there's going to be any outliers or unexpected expenses. Um, and then we meet in the middle of the month to kind of do a status check to make sure we're still on track. And, you know, like a few nights ago, my wife said, Hey, we still have like $200 in eating out. We got to go out to eat. (laughs) I said, Oh, okay. You challenged me to spend money. I can do that, you know? And, but we meet frequently, you know, and we talk about what we're going to do. And, uh, it's, it becomes a lot more effortless as we put the time in. Um, and the last thing was, is that we have our eyes on the prize as a team. We need to have what I call a transcendent priority, something that is outside of myself, something that is a bigger than just me and this moment, whether it's generosity or the future, retirement, being able to leave a legacy, whatever it is for you, it needs to be bigger than just you. Right. Uh, and it needs to be something that is unwavering that both of us focus on because there's going to be times when something comes up and we go, oh, but this really is important in the moment, but... If we lose focus on why we're doing this, it's going to be very hard for us to sacrifice, you know, and pass up or say no to certain things. Um, so that's kind of what it looks like to be a team is it's just some of those principles. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that because one of the things that I've found in working with couples is that 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 consistent meeting is so, so crucial. It's really, for me, what I've noticed, it's, it's the difference between success and failure long term. If they if they agree to meet, and again go by those five principles, you know, don't shame, don't don't do the things that are going to keep the other person from being a good teammate. But one of the things that I really really focus on, tell them, especially early on, once they've created the budget to meet on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about a two-hour meeting here. We're talking about three to five minutes. Yeah. Because all you're going to do is going to download or enter your transactions for the day. We're talking two to three, maybe five at the most between the two of them. And that doesn't take very long, especially if you use a software. So once you have those in, it gives you that ability to then look at the numbers afresh, how it's affected after you've entered the information of the spending that you've done. And then everybody has those numbers kind of on their mind. Right. And then they can move on to the next day and the next day. And I agree with you. After a while, like Natalie and I get together maybe twice a month. Mm-hmm. But we've been doing this for 26 years. Yeah. So she has access to the budget. I have access to the budget. She enters information. I enter information. So we're constantly aware of our numbers. But every once in a while, if you know we get busy and it yeah. happens, right? Life is just that way. And neither one of us plugs the num- numbers in. And I did that. I actually did that this morning. And it was a bunch of transactions. I was like, okay, I need to... She's, she's out shopping, right? Grocery shopping. And I'm like, I need to grab her when she comes home and have a quick three, five minute meeting to find out what these transactions are. Cause I wasn't sure what right. they were. Um, I knew that they were within our budget, so I wasn't concerned, but I needed to have that face to face. 
And that's such a crucial part of the team, right? Mm -hmm. Because anything else, if you're not working together, even if you say you are, you really are pulling in two different directions. Mm -hmm. And when you do come together, then it's so easy to blame each other. Well, you went over here and, oh gosh, you know, what were you thinking kind mm -hmm. of thing? And then it just becomes really uh, damaging mm -hmm. really to the communication and into your finances. So uh, love the way you, you uh, put those five together, the, the five principles, because they do work together. Right. You can't throw any of them out, right? right? You got to meet, you got to do it consistently, yeah. but you also have to honor and respect each other and not, not shame each other uh, through the process. So very, very good. Well, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Getting Money Right. And this was part one of the interview with Russell Baxter, licensed professional counselor who wrote Sharing Your Heart, Sharing Your Treasure. And uh, we encourage you to like and share the content on social media and join us on Leo's webpage at leosabo.com. And uh, Russell, tell us a little bit more about how people can get a hold of your book and find your counseling practice. Well, the book is actually available on Amazon, or you can buy a signed copy of the book directly from me at uh, www.foundationscounselingplc.com, and it's $15 plus shipping, So, uh, but it'll be a signed personalized copy. So, Great. Well, I hope that you guys will check out Russell's website, that you'll buy a copy. Uh, I, for one, I'm going to have mine signed tonight. <laughs> and uh, and then join us for our next episode where we finish the interview with Russell. Uh, we've got a lot more great content to cover from the book and from his experience counseling others and walking through marriage and finances. I hope that you'll join us together so that next time we can keep getting money right. last thing was is that we have our eyes on the prize as a team we need to have what i call a transcendent priority something that is outside of myself something that is a bigger than just me and this moment whether it's generosity or the future retirement being able to leave a legacy whatever it is for you it needs to be bigger than just you mm -hmm.